1: Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, and I'd like to share with you this week additional excerpts from our January 24, 2023 Lunch and Learn program. In today's podcast, we'll be covering benefit programs to attract and retain employees at all job tiers, featuring primarily myself and our benefits and insurance attorney, Marilyn Monahan of Monahan Law Office. I hope that you enjoy these excerpts, but please be advised that this was recorded from an in-person seminar and hybrid webinar, so please forgive any background noises or audience question distortions that may occur welcome back everyone to session three benefit programs to attract and retain talent for all job tiers our primary presenters for this presentation are myself dorothy koshu and our attorney marilyn monahan we'll also welcome color commentary of course from kathy rufino We're going to jump right into the session three. If you have questions and if you're on Zoom, please continue to use the chat function. And for those of you in the room, just raise your hand if you have any questions, and we will respond to those questions, okay? All right, we're going to skip the agenda. We're going to
2: talk about some statistics first on the importance of having a robust employee benefits program. This is the third session. Marilyn, why don't you go ahead and start on this
3: So there's been a lot of studies on um, things that uh, are of interest to HR practitioners, as well as things that are of concern to their employee workforce. And so I gathered some of the data together to... To reinforce some of the things that we've been talking about and so that if you're making a study as to where you need to look next, what kinds of changes you need to make in your recruiting efforts as well as um, how you design your benefit and other programs to attract talent, what are some of the uh, statistics behind supporting your decision making? Sherm does a state of the workplace study. I think they do this every year, mm-hmm. um, but um, you'll see that from this chart down at the bottom, one of the biggest concerns for one of the biggest organizational challenges in 2021, and I think it remains true today, are labor shortages. Interestingly, I wanted to include this one is because the second item of prominence is legal and compliance concerns, so which Dorothy and I are talking about all the time. So um, to remain competitive, they interviewed HR professionals and they said to remain competitive, what do you see happening in the future? And the one the one item that got the most the highest response from HR professionals was increase in employee compensation and benefits. And they quoted some of the comments that they got from. HR professionals um, that they intend to offer more competitive wages um, to existing and loyal employees, as well as lower insurance costs at the same time as offer better, um, better benefit plans, better compensation, leave policies, and work flexibilities. So they also then secondarily mentioned employee training and development is a hot spot. Um, they talked about the need to perform a compensation analysis to see where they stand, and um, they all s- seem to agree that they wanted more personnel in the HR department. Overall job satisfaction has reached a 20-year low. Now, I'm switching from SHRM to MetLife. Every year, the insurance company, MetLife, uh, Um, does a survey of its clients and produces um, actually a very helpful um, study and analysis of where the workforce is, what they're interested in, what benefits are important to them. Now remember MetLife offers ancillary benefits, so there's always a little bit of they skew that a little bit in their questioning but they do have some pretty good data and one of the things was overall job satisfaction has reached a 20 year low Um, 66% of employees for the 2022 study report being satisfied with the job they have now, but that's down from 72 percent and 74 percent in past years. Um, Concerns about job security prevalent early in the pandemic have been replaced by a sense of empowerment. Knowing they are in demand, many workers are convinced they can find more attractive roles, opportunities, and compensation elsewhere. Emphasizing the things that Kathy was talking about in the last session and what we're going to talk about in the next, and that is making your job, uh, your company, look better than the next guy. Employee must-haves in accepting a new role. All right, so 26% of employees want health and welfare benefit programs, so that's what they're looking for. They want better benefits, yes. Flexible work, place boundaries on working hours, recognize the importance of outside uh, at lives, outside work, but uh, health and welfare programs obviously very prominently. Compensation and salary, what, now this one I thought was interesting because it's the disconnect between what employers think and what their employees <laughs> think. So what em, uh, employers offer um, versus what employees say they must have, and you'll see for, with regard to compensation and wages, 37 to 7, 37% to 73%, and a comprehensive benefits package, 31% to 66%. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So, and one of the things that they want most is a broader mix of benefits, which is specifically what Dorothy and I are going to be talking about here. So with that, let's get into the okay. heart of the matter.
2: So let's talk about primary medical and dental benefits and how they can attract talent. Now, obviously, the ACA was kind of a natural way of us to make us start thinking about having a core benefits plan and then buy-ups from there because, again, it was written into the law that you had to make things affordable. So we can kind of use that whole philosophy as that ACA-created core benefits package um, and use that going forward as to what people are really looking for today. So what this really does is it allows employers to offer a lot of options um, that attract a lot of different types of people. Because one thing we have to remember is, especially with everything Kathy was just saying, is that one size no longer fits all. I mean, everybody wants something completely different, and you have no way of knowing that in a lot of cases. You have to guess by some creative ways, I guess, sometimes because you can only ask specific questions in interviews. You can't ask a lot of, you know, a lot of things. So. If you can get them to open up about certain things in their own way, perhaps, and they might start sharing ways, but people are making job decisions on, should I take this job A, B, C, D? They've got 12 job selections in front of them, in the next 10 days they can pick any of them they want. And they know that. And as Kathy was saying, that's really, that's really um, the way the market is right now. They're gonna make their choices, of what job they want based on what benefits you offer. Not necessarily medical benefits, but medical benefits, dental benefits, and everything else that we were talking about and a lot more today um, you know, within the company. All the different things. All, And when we get to some of these examples, we'll see what we're talking about. But basically what we're seeing a lot of is that healthy employees oftentimes will want to select the higher deductible medical plans. For example, the catastrophic type plans, the bronze level plans in the ACA world, for the small group side anyway, um, and then apply may, maybe more money towards other things if they have other needs. Uh, maybe it's more retirement, maybe it's more um, uh, childcare, maybe it's maxing out their childcare benefits, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, whatever their specific needs are. Uh, and the people with more serious medical conditions, unfortunately for the medical plans, that tends to often be the older people, <laughs> right? Um, which makes it difficult if they're age rated, particularly in the small group market. But, uh, they tend to select higher benefit level plans, where sometimes the healthier people select the lower ones. I myself, even though I have no health conditions in my whole life, pretty much, other than you guys, you guys are, Self-disclosures from from a HIPAA perspective. You guys know my entire health history, right? I've had a, a knee, a reconstruct or, a, or an ACL reconstruction, and I know you know I got hit in the head with a puck, a hockey puck, at a game, right? And that's my entire medical history. I have no medical history. Oh, and Anthony will remind me that I did have foot surgery when I was in my twenties. <laughs> I, I, I had to remove a, a nerve before in, in between two toes. Um, but that's my entire medical history. But even though I'm my age, which is not a youngster any longer, um, even though I don't necessarily need, I like having a higher benefit plan. But that's my personal choice. I like that. Other people don't. So what we need to do is think about what attracts people. Um, what attracts people at every level? What do they? What do they want? What do they need? Uh, not all top-level talent are going to have the same needs, and we may. <laughs> I'm a Marvel fan, you guys, if you didn't know that, you'll know now. Um, so I'm using characters and people in the Marvel universe for these examples. So we're having a person here who's Steve Rogers,
4: as <laughs> a character, not a,
2: <laughs> is a sought-after vice president of sales applicant. He's very athletic, healthy, 30 years old, single, with a sizable, uh, with, however, with sizable student loan debts. He rarely visits a doctor. He does not need a rich medical plan at this time because he's not married yet. He would rather spend less money on payroll contributions onto a medical plan and spend more on things like reducing his student loan debt payments and maybe increasing his retirement pre-tax benefits. That kind, that sort of thing. That's what he's more interested in. So these are some top-level talent. We're going to come back to these people in just a few minutes. Kevin. Beggy, by the way, if you happen to know who he is, the head of Marvel's, uh, anyway. is um, <laughs> being considered for the new president. He's not, but this is, that's just a name we came up with. Uh, a, a new president of a very large corporation. He's in his late 40s. Kevin's a little older than that, by the way, in the real world. The real Kevin. And has a very large family. He owns three homes and has several garages full of uh, vehicles, all brand new. And he wants the richest medical plan, the richest dental plan. He wants a disability plan, retirement plan, ancillary benefits. Give me anything you're going to give me, because if you don't, somebody else will. That's kind of the way those types of people think, right? They own lots of things, and they want you to give them everything. So you have to think about about a person like Kevin. And then let's look at a mid-range worker. So here's a person where John is. John Smith is a production line supervisor. He's 52, he's a little overweight, not very active. He loves his weekends with football and beer. He's married with one child who's 16 years old and one who's 20 and in college. He and his I, wife are interested in saving money, of course, for college, because they've got one in college and one heading toward college very, very quickly.
3: I don't think the picture of John, he's actually overweight, but that exactly. was the only picture I could find. Yeah, I
2: <laughs> We were really trying to find pictures to fit the... Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to get a copyright problem with Marvel, so I didn't put Kevin in real picture, or, or Steve Rogers, which is you know Chris Evans, especially since he's now sexiest man alive. People magazine. Um, so, And now we have a, a lower paid worker who's Susie Smith. She's a hotel restaurant worker who's paid just above minimum wage but does make tips. She's a single parent, goes to college at night. She's age 25 and healthy. Her child is five, just starting school, has chronic allergies and needs uh, to have an EpiPen or some sort of generic EpiPen or something like that on hand. And she's also worried that he's probably going to need braces soon because her whole family has needed braces, (laughs) okay? So she's interested in good but inexpensive dental benefits, uh, education and child assistance. So different types of people, and this is what you need to think of with every single person that's that's applying for a job within your organization. Are you going to know all these things about these people in a first interview? Probably not. So this
4: is part of the issue that we can't make an exception for this employee that wants inexpensive dental, et cetera, et cetera, we would have to offer it everybody. Right, that's why, we're, that's why we're getting into it. What you wanna
2: do is be able, in today's world, mm-hmm. in today's world, with all these people, with all these other needs, that Kathy was just describing, right, you gotta be able to reach a lot of different types of people within your benefit packages you can't just offer one plan that's the point that we're trying to make Mm -hmm. Um, you can't just offer one thing and expect to have lots of people say I want to come work for you it's not going to work today it didn't work a couple years ago it's definitely not going to work today because they all have different needs in their own head as to what they're looking for and that's what we're trying to make uh, clear to everybody here today is that uh, based on everything that you know Kathy and, and Marilyn were sharing earlier People have different needs. So, what are the medical plan needs of these employees? What types of employees are in your workforce? Think about it. Who are your managements? Who are your executives? You know, after you've, after they've been there for a while, you know, but when you're hiring people, you don't know. But you can get kind of a feel for the newer employees once they come on. People talk and you get to know them in supervisor meetings, staff meetings, that sort of thing, um, in the lunchroom if they do still have, even on Zoom meetings. Um, you know, what do they talk about and what are you hearing? You have to pay attention. I guess you have to put on hearing aids (laughs) and start paying attention to what people are saying and and things that they're emailing or things that, you know, chat that's going on in the lunchroom and that sort of thing. Take a look at your white collar versus your blue collar, your mid-range employees. Look at their salaries, you know, look at your clerical workers, skilled labor force production. But what are their needs? What do they want? And you're not going to know this, like I said in the first interview, but you may know from being just certain little things that they say. You've got to really have your mind open to pick up on the little things that people say in an interview. Uh, and maybe say something else, that might draw something else out of them. Um, But as you have new people coming on, you wanna think about gathering that information from those same types of people. Start taking your notes on the things that they're most interested in and talk to other people, HR consultants, you know, whatever, brokers, things like that. We're hearing this from other people, from other clients, from other employers all over. And, you know, ask us, what are you seeing? What are the trends? What are they asking for? Because that's how you're gonna learn more. So what we're suggesting is that you take surveys, um, talk to people in staff meetings, production meetings, um, you know, get HR input because people like Kathy, they hear, Laura, all you guys that are in in HR, you're hearing from people on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So start taking mental notes, if not physical notes, um, and asking what people are talking about, and start tracking Who's using these programs? Are they being wasted? Are we spending our money on things that people aren't using, where we could be spending that on something that people will want to use? So those are some of the things that you might want to think about.
3: I'll give you an example of where employers can read their workforce and try to tailor their benefits, and I think I mentioned this one. I had a client who offered, as part of a wellness program, they offered free gym memberships. Mm -hmm. Well, they happened to have a workforce that did a lot of very physical labor. So after eight hours of very physical labor, their employees weren't necessarily that interested Mm -hmm. in going to the gym and working out and doing cardio for another hour. Some of them might have been, but not all of them, so that wasn't the best benefit. That wasn't very attractive was to them. It was wasted if you're paying for it. For it was example. wasted. Now, if they had a... the clerical a, staff might. The clerical staff. If they had a very sedentary workforce, that might be very attractive. I've been sitting at a desk all day. I would just love to go to the gym and walk Almost on a treadmill. On so, again, it's reading your workforce, understanding what their needs might be, and, and tailoring your benefit programs
4: accordingly. Okay. And so pay attention to your demographic. You don't need orthodontia if most of your demographic is 40 plus. Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> I think and that's exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's
2: something that you know, people, you know <laughs> brokers. We can certainly help you with that because we're going to know. We, we see who uses those
4: orthodontia benefits for sure. Worst um, <laughs> ones I've seen, and it ends up really pissing off your employees. Is is you know, I we never do it with I know doesn't do it. Don't have waiting periods on anything dental. Like Somebody's paying forty bucks a month, you know, for an Well, sometimes you, you don't know. have a choice. Sometimes you don't have a choice because well, yeah. generally if you shop it right, you can have your end or carry covered at eighty percent no wait on it. If you're self funded, you can do anything you want, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're not <laughs> <so> <laughs> funny, you love self funding. it's a dollar or two extra, it's not worth uh, offering medical benefits
2: and medical plans to fit your workforce. In other words, changing your line of thinking instead of what you want to offer them, think more about what they might want in order to come work for you and stay with you instead of moving somewhere else. So
3: can I, can I just say, I've many times over the years, I'm sure, Dorothy, you've experienced this, I've had an, uh, someone call me up and say, we want to change our benefit plan because the owner's uh, family member now has this medical condition that's not covered, and now we want to cover it for everyone. Right. Right. Which is fine, but you should be thinking about those kinds of issues all the time and And broader than just what might come up for the owner and the
2: owner's kids. Right, exactly. So those are the things, again, you have to
4: think a little differently
2: than you may have in the past. And uh, if you want people to stay on long-term, then you're going to have to break down each job category. You're going to have to figure out what they want, what they need. Um, Do they want those lower-cost basic medical plans in the ACA world for small group, the Browns-level type plans? Uh, Mid-range plans, you know silver level, gold level plans, do they want rich benefits, the gold and platinum again in the ACA world, Uh, and what's the affordability for each job category, how's that going to fit, how's that going to match up with your workforce, and we're not talking about the ACA affordability, we're talking about the true affordability, how it is coming out of people's paychecks, because even though the government under ACA says it's affordable, does that really mean that it's affordable to the person that's working and making minimum wage money uh, and barely getting by? Uh, especially if they're married, they got a couple kids, they're both making just barely over minimum wage. It's not a lot of money in the household. So um, those are the kind of things that you need to think about. And, um, can,
4: can
3: I? Uh, I'm going to add another point there. Is that okay? Yeah, of
2: course. Jump in. <laughs> um, another you don't thing meet, is the, you have to just
3: jump in. Well, we had this conversation at the beginning of the ACA, but I think it's relevant here um, because when you're talking about true affordability for the employees, you know, there's also I could also make an argument that making your plans cheaper so that more employees sign up is a benefit to the employer. You're going to have a healthier workforce, as I understand it. Workers' compensation, claim costs, and therefore premiums go down the more employees you have covered by your insurance. So it may oh. seem Seem like more of an outlay um, toward your health benefit costs, but there could be other benefits down the line by structuring your uh, the employee contributions in such a way that um, you maximize who's going to sign up for the coverage.
2: Right, right, exactly. So let's take a let, let, let's look into this a little bit. Offer choice in your plans, choice in your costs. What is it that people can actually afford themselves? Not like again, not what the ACA says they can afford, um, and. Just think about it. If they can afford it, if they have a plan that meets their needs, they're not overpaying for something that they don't really need, um, then they're going to be happier and they're going to want to stay at the job longer because, as we all know, as, as Kathy's talked about, Marilyn's talked about, I've talked about, we mentioned it today, um, you not, not only want to The challenge today is not only getting new employees in, that's what you all need, because everybody's scrambling to get new hires, but keeping the ones that you have because they're job searching too and they're and they're looking for a better deal. So. Uh, I know that multiple plans some sound very administratively burdensome to a lot of companies But I hate to say it, but you're gonna have to suck it up there a little bit I don't know (laughs) what else to say it in a better way because one size does not fit all I think we've kind of gone through that many times today and and, um, You have to understand that if you're going to appeal to a larger audience you're going to have to offer a lot more Variety and the types of plan choices, whether you're fully insured or whether you're self-insured Self-insured is easy <laughs> to design plans. Might have to pay a little bit more for administration, right Brad? Um, but if you have multiple plans, but um, But uh, you know these are the kinds of things you're going to have to do you're probably now uh, or in your next your upcoming renewal Because you know again the affordability the bronze or civil level mentality during the ACA think of that as your core benefit plan um, but also think about it for those people like the Steve Rogers in my example that he's as healthy as can be But he doesn't want to spend a, a bunch of money on a medical plan that he's never going to use Because he's 30 years old and he's healthy and he's athletic, okay? Right? Um, he doesn't think he needs it so It's wasted money to him So he may not take your job He might take your, the job of the, the other company across town because they offered something that would fit his needs more than yours so you just lost out on, on a potentially excellent vice president of sales in that, in that uh, example. So again, getting those buy-ups to the gold and platinum plans, offering lots of choices. I know, again, it sounds administratively burdensome to the HR department, but that's where people like you know your brokers, people like that can help you with that sort of thing, especially when they're helping you with online enrollment and all these kinds of things. There are a lot of ways that you can make those administrative functions a lot simpler than in the old days when we did everything with pushing paper. I know our our industry, the insurance industry, is still a paper industry, unfortunately, but a lot of things can be done online and can be done with the help of, you know, brokers going in and helping with the open enrollments and doing all those sorts of things. Um, You have to do that today if you're gonna survive in the world. Uh, Choice of providers, that's something that, as Marilyn said, and I don't think Kathy mentioned it today, we've talked about it in the past, but sometimes people pick pick the the, plans that they're gonna pick because the doctor of the president or the HR manager or whoever that's making the plan decisions or that team their doctors were in the network, so they didn't care about anybody else's. Even though 90% of the claims are going to be going, and, and the providers that are going to be used maybe may not be in the network. So those are the kind of things that you might want to find out. Where are? Can you do disruption reports? Can you see what providers people are using, uh, and what are the most common providers? And can you find networks to match those providers that people are actually using or wanting uh, instead of just what <laughs> what makes the president happy? Uh, that may ultimately still be the be the choice that's selected. But again, if you can make multiple options, you might have a narrow network and a wide network. Mm-hmm. The narrow network may not have that Docker, but the wide network might. So again, you might be able to stay with the same, and even in the fully insured world, you might be able to stay with the same carrier, but just in uh, the difference in the size of the network to be able to accommodate the most amount of people.
3: I was just going to say,
2: you know, I, I can think of a, a
3: particular instance that I came across where we had an employee who had a child who had chronic medical conditions that were constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So they were going from one specialist to another to another while also having a core group of ongoing providers they were very comfortable with, including mental health providers. They didn't want to change. So a PPO was absolutely essential as far as they were concerned, so that they had maximum opportunities to find a provider in their network. Um, whereas, you know, the Steve, the healthy guy who's not going to go to the doctor, he doesn't really care as much about the network. He's bound to find, if, an, if he breaks his leg skiing, he's okay. bound to find someone in the network who work right. for him.
4: Right, exactly. You know, and, I, and I will add this, years ago I had one of my um, Companies that I was actually the VP of HR for, the president, in all of infinite wisdom, decided everyone was going to go on Kaiser because he didn't want to pay the premium for anything else. And back in the day, Kaiser was a
2: cheaper plan. It's not so much anymore, but it was the cheapest option. Back right. The day. So he
4: went, He thought everyone should go on Kaiser. Why? Because he was, and two, second reason, money. And so I said, okay, well, let's put that out there to the employees. So we did, and I got 47 resignations within an hour. Wow. Based on yeah. benefits alone. So it is what Dorothy's saying yeah. is incredibly important to people. You it cannot just pull the trigger. As well. It's gotta be your industry as well. Because here in the warehouse environment, they would die for a Kaiser plant. You know well yeah. the ir- the irony to that is we had a lot of people who were on Kaiser. So it wasn't that we didn't have a lot of people on Kaiser, we did. It was removing that choice that fit other people's lives. Because we did have people in seventy in seventeen different states And so they wouldn't have been able to do Kaiser, anyways, which for me, selfishly as an HR person, I'm like, oh great, now I gotta manage 17 different states of Kaiser equivalent. Right. So I'm just saying, you know, what Dorothy is telling you is true. You have to really think about what your employees' needs are because. 47 resignations, and these are high end people. These yeah. are engineers. These are not and easy to
2: replace people. Project
4: managers, and they're like, I'm out because they right. had child and family right. issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's what I said. And another thing, you mentioned Kaiser. The same thing. If you have employees that are working in out of areas, uh, out of um, major metropolitan areas, if you have those out of area workers, uh, regional offices, that network and coverage issues, those are major for those people. And those people might be vital to your organization. So, you know, a lot of these inexpensive plans, like the, the smaller, community-type plans, like the Inland Empire Health Plan, which is only serving the Inland Empire, Riverside, San Bernardino County, uh, Molina, even Sutter, Sharp, and Kaiser for those matters. I mean, they only serve their populations around where they're located, and that's it. So um, you really have to take a look at that. And then you want to take a look at your plan funding, and if you're large enough and uh, have a low-cost claim group, of course, you might want to look at self-funding, just because you have more choices, more uh, flexibility, more creativity, and a lot lower, a lot lower cost options overall. Because let's face it, self-funded plans aren't paying for Super Bowl ads. Um, I mean, realistically, right? I mean, they're not paying for those big expensive TV uh, ads and all these other things that the fully insured big carriers are offering uh, out there. So uh, keep, keep in mind, um, buy-ups to HMOs, EPOs, PPO options. Again, having choice, having the, the people have the ability to pick what they want, not necessarily what you want to give them, is gonna give you a, an overall um, higher satisfaction level with your employees and keeping them on long term. Um, also, things like self-funded plans, if you have a PPO network, they have a PPO or non-PPO, if you're reference-based pricing, they can go to any doctor they want. But can they really? Depends whether or not those doctors will, will work with the plan or not. So there's a lot more education and stuff um, going on there. And I know Laura, and I, Laura could go on on that for quite a bit of time. So, um, but let's move on to this one, the dental plans. Let's talk a little bit about dental plan needs. Because again, same type of thing as medical plans. Um, a lot of people think they can just offer one plan one plan does not fit all um again susie had a, a little ch- a five-year-old that was gonna she knew grow into wanting or needing braces eventually and orthodontia is important to, to people with, with kids in the family right that's something that's really really important um something a dental maintenance organization as you know a dental hmo basically uh, that's the kind of plan she was looking for because it was less expensive to her Yes, there's just a fixed rate that she pays a small copay for each service That was a lot less expensive than the $2,000 annual uh, PPO plan, dental plan that the company was offering. So you know you need to look at those types of things, and and you can choose. Your brokers can help you with all of this stuff. Um, $1,000 max per year, $1,500, $2,000. The days of the $1,000 plan are pretty much gone, and for the most part, I mean, most people want more benefits than that, and, and a lot of them want orthodontia. They have kids, so take a look at the actual cost versus the actual benefit. Is it gonna cost you actually, it might actually end up costing you a lot less to just change your benefit options up a little bit than to have to rehire and retrain all those new people or just find people to fill the openings that you have right now because that's, you guys wanna say anything before I go on? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you covered it. So I guess what we want you to think about is going back to some, remember in the old days? Remember the old days? We talk about cafeteria-style benefits, now it's a 125 plan, and we get that with Section 125 of the IRS code. But remember the old days of the cafeteria-style plan, where you literally had a budget and you could pick whatever plan you wanted, right? Yeah. CalChoice does that in the small group market in California. Um, but that kind of thinking, overall, tends to have higher um, employee satisfaction. Because again, they can pick what's good for them in the dollars that they want to spend. You can set your budget and then let them pay what they for what they want, and, and that kind of concept, it doesn't necessarily have to be in CalChoice. It doesn't have to necessarily be small, to, uh, small group. You can do that in a large group market, too, you can do that with the plan selections that you choose. If you're self-funded, you can do anything you want, right? You can pretty much do anything you want as long as you file, uh, as long as you follow ERISA guidelines and so forth, the Public Health Service Act if you're a government employer, that sort of thing. But you have this, I want you to start thinking about the fact that if you want to attract and retain employees, you might need to take steps back a couple of decades and start think of that old-fashioned cafeteria-style approach to benefit plans and not just the Section 125 plan. Those are great, too. We're talking about realistically in benefits. So you want to design plans to meet your the needs of the top talent, and then we're going to go further and say to meet the needs of the mid-sized worker and the lower-paid workers. Rich medical benefits uh, are important generally for your top talent. You know your choices of PPOs, HMOs, co-insurance co- and uh, copays. Your gold and pl- premium, your, excuse me, your gold and platinum level type. You know 80 to 90 percent plans and above with choices of providers and all those add-on options like in our example, Kevin would have wanted. They um, might want chiropractic or therapies, uh, mental health treatment, uh, specialty drugs. Maybe they have someone in their family that has cancer. Specialty drugs are going to be very important to them. Fertility treatment, travel benefits, and so forth. Rich dental benefits. These people are going to want rich dental benefits, probably, and other benefits like these voluntary benefits doesn't necessarily have to be 100% paid by the employer, just simply by offering them on a voluntary basis, and Kathy, you might have some comments on that, have, have you found that even if it's voluntary, people still like the fact that it's being offered?
4: Yeah, just that they get that choice. And the ones that um, most of us have seen in in the HR world, we're seeing the voluntary cancer and voluntary activities that includes the activities that their family members do. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Because when their kids are playing sports, when they go skiing, most insurance policies don't cover those recreational things. So that's a big hit for an employee who gets injured on the slopes. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that you can do if you want to talk about choice is putting together a health flexible spending arrangement, mm-hmm. a dependent care flexible right. spending account, or a health reimbursement arrangement.
4: That now is there, the
3: cafeteria plan, that, the IRS cafeteria plan. And so there are rules around all of this. So, for example, if you've got a high-deductible health plan and you put in what they call a general-purpose health FSA, the employees won't be able to contribute to an HSA. But if you've got a relatively low-paid workforce that can't afford that anyway, they might appreciate the cushion that the health FSA provides them or the HRA provides them And because they don't have the cash to contribute to an HSA. So there's ways that you can combine the various benefits that are available to you under the Internal Revenue Code with these different plan designs and cushion the blow if someone oh, yeah. has a higher deductible plan and then breaks their leg or, you yeah. know, need surgery or something like that.
2: Right. And don't forget about things like your retirement plans, your 401Ks. Don't forget about things like, we talked about it a couple of times, steep loan repayment programs for the for the young people today coming into the workforce. That's one of the number one things they're asking for and looking for when they're comparing jobs. And they, let's face it, they all create an Intel spreadsheet and compare you to 10 other employers that they're interviewing with right now. And they're going to pick the one that meets their needs. And, and a lot of times it will be those that Help reimburse for things like student loan uh, mm-hmm. debt because it's it's huge for them. Um, so anyway, so lower paid employees, you need to make it truly affordable to them, not the ACA affordable, but truly affordable to them. Okay, what are they being paid? How much once they pay for their rent, their car payments, you know, whatever their insurance, you know, keeping their utilities on the house. Has anybody seen their electric and gas bills in the last month? Oh my gosh, might have like tripled. Have yours tripled? Might have like
4: tripled solar go solar yeah
2: (laughs) if you can afford that 40 to 100 grand to get the solar panels put in then yeah go solar (laughs) um i know they're so expensive isn't it but what can they really afford what do they really need um those are the kind of things that you have to think about and then how can you meet in the middle what can you do and again if you're creative and if you have good benefit consultants good brokers um people like that we can help you meet in the middle and find ways to make meet your as an employer financial needs as well as the needs of the employees and that's what we're talking uh that's what we're looking at today Um, telemedicine options if you're not offering telemedicine with a zero dollar copay you should be because even the lowest paid worker even if you have a higher deductible plan or even a silver level or something like that plan that you're offering at least if you're offering them immediate care for something like flus, colds, middle of the night, fevers for their kids, that sort of thing. And they can go out and they can make a phone call or get on a video chat and it costs them zero dollars. They think they've got a rich benefit plan, even if it's not the richest plan. So you need to, I know some of our clients have had five or $10 office copays for, tele, uh, for telehealth and they're changing this year to zero because they're seeing how much the employees really do, um, really do want that and need that. And we learned about telemedicine um, more than we ever thought we would want to or need to during COVID, right? And that's one of the biggest draws people need those telemedicine options. They got used to them during COVID and it's just so much easier for everyone. So Jan-
3: look, January, 2020, two months before COVID started or um, the pandemic with the lockdown, I spoke at a conference where there were a lot of uh, uh, government employers as well as private sector employers that had a lot of union workforces and the unions could not sell telemedicine. To their employees. And, of course, that's completely shifted yeah. now because yeah. people see the value. That was
2: not a, a value, a benefit at all in, in the unions. You're right. I grew up in the union environment. For those of you that don't know, before I went into self-funding, I actually was at, worked for a third-party administrator that was in, this, uh, in the union side of the business. So, um <laughs> Look for those cost-effective plan options that still have low co-pays for physician visits, prescription drugs, mm-hmm. tele- telemedicine, mm-hmm. urgent care. Those are the things that people need every day, just routine mm-hmm. things. You can have your higher deductibles and all that sort of thing and your um, higher co-pays for all the other services, but you need to keep those basic services to make sure that the lower-level and mid-range-level employees still feel like their medical immediate needs are being met, and then you're going to have happier employees. And if you have dependents, a lot of dependent coverage, um, what can they afford, what can they truly afford as a dependent? Um, There were recently some changes with the family glitch.
3: Oh, yeah. I'm not responsible for
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) That had something to do with that. We can talk about that later if we have time. But um, do you want to just mention it in brief?
3: Yeah, so it used to be that if you satisfied the ACA affordability standard, it meant that the coverage was affordable for self-only coverage. And if the employer contributed zero toward dependent coverage, the the dependent's children and the spouse were still blocked from going to Covered California and qualifying for a premium tax credit. They've now changed those rules so that if uh, they'll take into consideration what how much gonna cost for dependent coverage under the employer's group health plan. And if the employer contributes zero or a low amount, the, the dependent children and spouse could still qualify for a premium tax credit. There's other strategy issues involved in that. The family's now got two plans with two deductibles, two out-of-pocket maximums, but it gives more flexibility to the spouse and the dependent children. A
2: lot of times people want to be on the same plan, though, because it's just easier for them to be yeah. on the same plan and have to meet one family deductible and that sort of thing. So you have to keep that in mind, too. Uh, but minimum value plans. Now, there's there's a couple of different ways of looking at minimum value plans. Um, this is number one, is uh, a $1,500 deductible medical plan, first dollar benefits, the deductible is not a plan. We actually have a client that does almost exactly this. Um, sorry, I borrowed it from one of you. Uh, primary care visits, $40, but we helped design it, so you know. Um, generic prescription drug uh, let's say $10 copays and they have zero their uh, Preventive care at no cost because they are non-grandfather $0 copay so even though they have that $1,500 medical plan deductible They still have these lower office offices and these are just perfect examples of how you can still make it affordable even the mid-range employee So even if you're offering that minimum value plan under the ACA you can still do things um and still be within your um, your uh, uh, actuarial guidelines there between, you know, in the, in the bronze level to make sure that, it's, um, that it meets the minimum essential benefits and so forth and and, uh, uh, and all those ACA terms. But um, you can make it, so you can design it so that it still works for the employees. Now, would you tie that in, as Marilyn said, with an FSA or an HRA for employer versus employee contributions? If you
4: want to
3: offer this and um, it's, and the employees aren't eligible to contribute to an HSA, you can set up a health flexible spending arrangement or what's called a health reimbursement arrangement. A health flexible spending arrangement, both the employer and the employee can contribute to it, but there's a limit on employee contributions. It's 3,000 and something this year. Um, Or a health reimbursement arrangement is funded solely by the employer. But you do it so that, for example, If you set up a health reimbursement arrangement, you can say um, to those employees, okay, if you do have an expense under $1,500, the employer will reimburse it up to $1,000, up to fifteen, dollars whatever. And the health FSA is a way for the employees to put away money pre-tax if they know they're going to have out-of-pocket expenses. Maybe you don't have an orthodontia plan, um, but they know the child is going to need orthodontia in the coming year. They can put $3,000 away pre-tax. So it doesn't include; it's not included in their box one wages. They, they save can put a little away money a little at
4: the time each paycheck,
3: <laughs> and then pay off the yeah. uh, the orthodontia bill when it comes due. So those are the kinds of things. But it gives the employees the choice; it gives yeah. them more flexibility, and it also kind of gives them the H R A gives them a cushion against a catastrophic
2: right, expense. Right. And then here's M V P type plan number two, which has a higher high deductible health plan with an H S A option, uh, and that's four thousand dollars instead of fifteen hundred dollar deductible. It's a four thousand dollar deductible and no first dollar coverage except for preventative care under the ACA. So if you're going to do something like that, again, you're going to probably lose some of those employees that you might have brought in or or you might lose some in retention. But um, you can contribute to an HSA, as Marilyn mentioned. Two, two points on this, and that is
3: if you do use the HSA option, one is it tends to be your higher paid workforce that they find this more attractive. They, they're they putting away money. They if The money becomes theirs. It goes into account. They control. They leave your company. They still have the HSA yes. funds, and they can use it in retirement. If they've got a lot of income coming in, they can let it sit there until they retire, and then they can spend down those
2: funds. But the bad news on that is that it's the higher paid people that have access to that and not that do that generally and not the lower paid people.
3: I should also add that California has never passed conforming legislation so you get the tax benefit for the hsa contributions on the federal side but not, not the state. state that's a big point
2: We're in california so anyway just things to think about um and then determining what your employee benefit contribution levels are going to be that's a big decision um you know again select your core basic plan that's affordable not only by aca terms but by employee terms as well and actual terms with your low co-pays your zero dollar telehealth your low-cost prescription drugs at least your, your generic drugs. Now, obviously, brand name drugs and specialty drugs are a different ballgame, but at least uh, give people access to those uh, generic drugs at a low, very low copay, and, and then you'll find more employee satisfaction there. And then select mm-hmm. one or more buy up options that offer richer benefits. Generally, choosing three medical plans, I know that sounds like a lot, gives the employees basically you're covering all levels that way of wants and needs. Yes, it's more administrative burden. But the more plans you offer, of course, you know, you have to think about that your contribution levels um, are going to be acceptable as well. So not only the benefits, but also how much you have to pay towards those benefits might be more in line with what employees or pro- uh, prospective employees might want to pay. Go ahead, Mary.
3: So the question I get all the time is, can we contribute, can the employer contribute more towards certain categories of employees? Can we pay... Seventy five percent of the cost of coverage for managers and then fifty percent of the cost of coverage for rank and file. And it's complicated. That's a very actually a very complicated question because the Internal Revenue Code has what they call non discrimination rules. And when they're talking about discrimination in this case, it's not based on race, religion, all the other age Etc., it's based on who qualifies as highly compensated. The IRS's idea is they don't want you to, if you're gonna get a tax break for something, they don't want it to go all to the owners and the executives and not to the rank and file. Share and share alike. So it makes it difficult. Kind of, I'll sort of bottom line it, if you've got a self-funded plan, everyone's contributions have to be the same. You can't tier it for different levels of different employees. If you've got a fully insured plan, you have more flexibility, but you're going to have an issue if you try to be more generous toward people who fall into the definition of highly compensated versus the rank and file. So um, there's different strategies you can use, but the bottom line, what works better and more effectively is to give every, have the same contribution levels across the board and then allow people to buy up if, they've got, if they want a better plan. Right. The other solution is, um, and there's a couple of solutions, but another solution is just pay more to the people that you want to give better benefits to. Treat everyone the same with regard to how much they contribute and then pay the others more in salary so that they can then use that to buy. Benefits
2: Yeah, and keep in mind, like I said, those core, as she said, and we've said a few times, those core plans, those basic plans, you start at, um, and then with the buy-up options, that will give everybody a lot more choices. But um, so again, on the minimum value plan, if you're going that route, make sure that you cover those. You know, make sure you cover coverage for your for your lower paid employees, that they'll be will be feeling like that they were um, you know ignored and their needs were ignored. Uh, now they may not. The lower plans, those higher deductible plans, may not cover all services. They may not cover chiropractic. Uh, chiropractic care they may not cover um visits for home health care maybe you only have a certain number of visits they're going to cover they may or may not cover skilled nursing facilities, durable medical equipment things like that so again in design if you're self funded you can design it any way you want and if you're fully insured those are some of the things keep in mind you might be giving up some of those benefits in those lower cost plans but offering it in the higher plans Uh, and again that's a cost versus benefit type of scenario Uh, and look at the same thing for dental plans Um, again you can have a, a basic plan and then you can have people buy up Keep in mind those PPO dental plans are going to have that 12-month wait that Ann was talking about for major services. They might not have any ortho things like that. So you really need to be careful what you're purchasing before you purchase it, and do your shopping ahead of time. Your brokers can do that for you and make sure that um, you know you're getting the best bang for your buck there. Uh, and if you're self-funded, of course, you can design all this stuff for yourself. And keep in mind the DMO dental plans again, the, the dental maintenance organizations, the, the HMO of, of the dental world. Uh, they have fee schedules. Uh, with no annual limits, at least, but they do have a fee schedule, but keep in mind, they're going to force you to have lower levels of benefits uh, in some cases, and, and you might have to pay more if you want the higher level, you know, and Anthony gives explanations in open enrollment meetings all the time about, you know, within the smile line. You know, when they can give you a gold filling versus a, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so those are the kind of things you give up uh, or you might want to take into consideration on dental plans. So again, buying up on those dental plans, it's all that stuff's important, giving people in you know, the scope of coverage, giving people those options. Um, and just, I would recommend, I always recommend this, survey your population and see what they want, see what they need, and try to satisfy as many of those as you can if you want to keep your employees happy, bottom line. Healthcare financing? the financing that you use it's going to have a direct impact on your costs and the options that the uh, employer offers in their benefit plans self-funded plans let's face it they say generally 20 to 30 percent um you know above the what the uh fully shared market does because again they're not paying for those expensive advertising they're not paying for all those high executive salaries and those types of things um you're cutting out all the middle dollars middleman dollars and all that so you're basically just paying for the care and the actual premium costs and fixed costs to To uh, have that care available you're not paying for all those add-ons so uh, you know those are kinds of things you just want to think about how can you finance your plans Um, self-funding is the way to go if you're above 100 you definitely want to look at it if you're above 200 250 most definitely should be looking at it because if you're not somebody else is is, and and, uh, uh, you may be losing out on a lot of valuable employees because you can't afford to offer the same kind of coverage that your competitors are offering so, medical savings from your self-funded plan can also be used for other benefits, such as higher contributions to retirement plans, less costly dental plans, offering vision, life, disability, and other types of programs. I'm just going to check this chat real quick. What is considered highly compensated? I had a feeling that question was coming. Uh, oh, it
3: depends. I, I wish I could give you a simple answer to what is considered highly compensated. The, the reason it gets complicated is because they have one set of tests for self-funded plan under Section 105H of the Internal Revenue Code. They have another set of tests under Section 125 for cafeteria plans. They've got another test under 129 for dependent care. So it varies. But, um, and and uh, retirement plans have another set of definitions. So I can't give you one definition, but what you're looking at is your most highly compensated employees as well as owners, officers, and the like. Those are the kinds of people that you're um, going to be focused on. I could give you more specifics if you emailed me directly or Dorothy yeah. on that.
2: Yeah, uh, let us know. And then the next slide here is when can you offer benefits to managers? I covered that. Um, I was going to say you covered that, and when is it discriminatory? You covered that. But when can you offer varying plans to hire versus loan plans? Again, it's going to be case-specific in a lot of situations.
3: So um, <laughs> If it's self-funded, you're going to have to offer all the same benefits to everyone. If you're fully insured, you might have more... But I don't know that the carriers will let you uh, uh, slice and dice your workforce. So I think essentially you're going to have to offer the same one benefits to everyone for the most part, and it's just how you make those benefits attractive to different groups. Now of people. there are
2: there are situations in where you can you won't be discriminatory as long as you don't discriminate within a class. You got class distinctions you can make. Yeah, there
3: are certain class distinctions. There are geographic distinctions. Obviously, if you know, you, I shouldn't say obviously, but you might, depending on where your workforce. So if you've got people that are working in, I don't know, San Francisco, you might need what kind of benefit to attract them. Versus if they're working in a warehouse situation in a state where there's not as many options, you're going to be looking at different plan options. Yeah.
2: All right, so other benefits we just want to, we need to get through this pretty quickly here. Other benefits that attract talent, again, the retirement plans, vision plans, adoption assistance, fertility benefits, fringe benefits, long-term care, parking Parking benefits, downtown LA, uh, places like that. Um,
3: Fertility benefits
2: is a hot topic these hot days. It's a yeah. right now, yeah. Um, child care, gym memberships, educational assistance, again, those student loan assistance, college tuition programs, ancillary and voluntary benefits. Again, as, as uh, Kathy was saying, people are really wanting those cancer policies, critical illness, and of course, life, disability, long-term care, and those types of things. Again, those are a lot of things you can offer on a voluntary basis. So, take a look at what your costs are and um, basically figure out what you not only can you, because of the ACA, but what you want to do uh, to keep your employees happy and uh, and make sure that uh, everybody, you know, you're able to bring on and attract the, the, the most favorable candidates, of course, if you want to hire them. Um, keep in mind that I was talking about self-funding, some employers just are not good candidates for self-funding, or they're just simply risk averse, they don't want to do it. But if you do have that option available to you, take a look at it, do yourself a favor, because. That's the way to go. Save money, have lots of flexibility. Um, you'd be surprised, I think. Uh, so let's take a look at what these applicants are. That In this example, Steve Rogers, we talked about him, VP of sales candidate. Um, so where did he end up? The, the employer that he went with, because he had multiple choices, he chose an employer who had these options available to him. A bronze medical plan, a very rich... PPO dental plan, because let's face it, 30-year-old single men want to have great smiles, right? <laughs> with a $2,000... I'm just, I'm just picturing, I'm picturing Chris Evans on the cover of People magazine right now. Uh, With a $2,000... He was the sexiest man alive was like a month ago. Uh, with a $2,000 annual uh, maximum. A Section 127 plan, which we've been talking about, those, uh, those uh, reimbursement plans for uh, education. And maximum 401k contributions with employer matching. He also signed up for gym memberships because it was important to him. <laughs> that body looking good uh, would substantially reduce membership fees. So that's the employer that he chose. So if that wasn't you, you didn't get that guy that you wanted. He went with this, this employer. Okay? Uh, Kevin, on the other hand, his choices were platinum PPO medical plan, PPO dental with the highest annual maximum management disability plan. FSA with childcare, 401k, vision, voluntary life, STD, LTD, long-term care. because this face he can afford anything and everything. <laughs> um, mid-range workers. We had a John Smith example. Um, he's 52. As I said, he wasn't. He's not all that active. Loves football. Blah blah blah. Two kids. So his choices were a gold, a gold-level medical plan, a dental DMO, know, well, an HMO-type DMO um, dental plan. His company, an employer, that had a 401k, very good employer 401k plan. With a flexible spending account and a 1.7 educational assistance plan because again he's got a 20-year-old in school now in college and a 16-year-old going in in two years. So that was important to him. So that's that's the person, that's the job that he's going to take. Uh, and low workers, lower paid workers, Susie, as I told you about her, the restaurant worker with the child's uh, five years old, she selected a, an enhanced, went to an employer that had an enhanced silver plan with a high deductible but has a $25 office visit for primary care visits and $10 generic drugs. A DMO dental plan that had no annual limit and ortho care for children and a flexible spending account with child care and a section 127 educational assistance plan because again she's still in, she's still going to school herself. Okay, so that was important to her. That's a job that she did. So let's. We've been talking about this. We have to do this. Unfortunately, way too short of time. You know, <laughs> but um, I can condense it. Okay, condense this because these, This is the hottest topic. Engineering companies, high tech companies. This is how they're getting employees right here.
3: So for many years now, and within the Internal Revenue Code, they, you employers have been allowed to set up a Section One Twenty Seven plan, which is basically an, a tuition reimbursement program for employees who are who are going through various courses of education, and they can get their educational expenses, including tuition and books, although not tools or supplies retained by the employees and not meals, lodging, or transportation, but they can get their, tu- their, get their books and their tools and their tuition reimbursed up to a total of 5250 per year. Um, Along comes the pandemic, and uh, to help people out as a part of the CARES Act, they, uh, or the CAA, they, they passed it once and then they extended it. As a part of the CAA, they have expanded Section 127 plans. So in addition to reimbursing tuition or in lieu of reimbursing tuition, the employer can agree to reimburse student loan debt. So up to, again, the total is $5,250 per year. That's for both tuition and that's just the one maximum. So if you've got a, a workforce where it could you... Be either or. It could be either or. or so or let's say you've got workforce with a lot of student loan debt. You can agree to pay up to $5,250. And at the federal level, that is tax-free to the employee. It is not included in their gross income. California has not passed a conforming bill. Cal Sherm and PYRA uh, push this every year, but we can't get the state legislature to pass a conforming bill. But there's still benefits on the federal side. So this can, we all hear the stories, some of you may have your own student loan debt. We know people are carrying a lot of debt. Now this is only for the employee's student loan debt, um, and it has to be for a qualified loan uh, incurred by the employee. And there is a deadline. Um, it has to be um, through. It only lasts through 2025. We're hoping they'll extend it. They've already extended it once. We're hoping they'll extend it beyond. But in the short term, if this is something you want to put together, now make you the payments make the payments before
2: January. You know, before January first, 2026, So December 31, 2025.
3: Yeah. Now there are some requirements. You have to jump through some hoops. You need a separate written plan document describing what this benefit is. So you need to create that, or you get. Reach out and find—I don't know—a lawyer to help you write it. <laughs> um, you, you have to give reasonable notice to employees of the availability and terms of the program. Um, the employees can't have the option to choose cash in lieu of the reimbursement. And then there are some non-discrimination rules uh, related to favoring highly compensated, etc. You can't make it just for the owners and their kids—that kind of a thing. So I think it's a—I've uh, one of the slides has some resources that are available to you. The uh, the IRS issued some FAQs. If you want to read up on it mm-hmm. a little bit more, we can provide you with more background. But I think it's a great opportunity for employers who are looking to attract and retain talent. The last item is that I want to talk about is very basic. I'm sure everyone here has one, but I periodically come across an employer who doesn't. And that's a cafeteria plan. Cafeteria plan exists under Section 125 of the Internal Revenue Code, and basically it allows employees to pay the cost of their benefits pre-tax through the cafeteria plan. So it doesn't get included in their Box 1 wages. So an example is, like, say employees have to pay $100 a month uh, for their health coverage. That means um, if they elect health coverage, so that means that their Box 1 wages will be $1,200 less at the end of the year, that's an advantage to the employer because you're paying uh, employment taxes on the Box 1 wages. If you reduce Box 1 wages, you're reducing your employment tax liability. So having a cafeteria plan in place so employees can pay whatever it is they have to pay pre-tax great advantage to the employee and employer. You need a written plan document. You need to follow all the rules, which I won't go through here. Um, I'm sure most of you are aware of them. But again, I say this because I do come across employers that don't have this set up, aren't familiar with it. And it's just a good reminder that as long as you're designing this plan, keep the cafeteria plan option in mind.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. This is our last regular podcast of season four. Can you believe that? The season's over already. We will, however, produce additional off-season podcasts if we feel that the topic is warranted and timely. I want to thank all of our loyal listeners as well as the newer listeners that we gained this past season. I want you to know that we truly appreciate each one of you. I want to personally thank our guest today, Marilyn Monahan, for assistance with this podcast and many others throughout the season. She can be reached at Marilyn at com. For everyone out there please stay safe stay healthy and be sure to join us for our next season which will be season five of the benefits executive roundtable which will be coming in september 2023 thanks everyone
0: thanks for listening stay tuned for compliance tips cost containment ideas new trends and decision-making tools this podcast is produced by advanced benefit consulting anaheim california all views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of advanced benefit consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.